Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lace. And on today's episode, we're going to dive into the People's Temple. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Audible, for sponsoring this episode. Audible is a massive library of audiobooks from every genre. They've got everything from the latest bestsellers to those old classics you've always wanted to read, but just never got around to it. And they've got a huge range of genres. Romance, mystery, sci-fi, fantasy. Whatever floats your boat. It's super easy to get started with Audible too. All you need is an internet connection and a smartphone, a tablet, or your computer. You can listen at home, work, on the train, at the gym, during your commute, while walking your dog, you get the picture. It's basically endless content for endless moments in life. If you want a free three-month trial and a free audiobook of your choice, head on over. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash Larry21 and sign up today. And now, without further ado, today's main topic. The People's Temple and the Disciples of Christ, originally People's Temple Full Gospel Church and commonly shortened to People's Temple, was an American new religious organization which existed between 1954 and 1978 founded in Indianapolis, Indiana by Reverend Jim Jones. The People's Temple spread a message that combined elements of Christianity with communist and socialist ideology, with an emphasis on racial equality. After Jones moved the group to California in the 60s and established several locations throughout the state, including its headquarters in San Francisco, the temple forged ties with many left-wing political figures and claimed to have 20,000 members though 3,000 to 5,000 is more likely. The temple is best known for the events of November 18, 1978, in Guyana, when 909 people died in a mass suicide and mass murder at its remote settlement named Jonestown, as well as the murder of U.S. Congressman Leo Ryan and members of his visiting delegation at the nearby airstrip. The incident in Jonestown resulted in the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate attack prior to the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. Because of the killings in Guyana, 
the temple is regarded by scholars and by popular view as a destructive cult. Before he founded his church, Jim Jones had become enamored with communism, and he was also frustrated by the harassment which communists were being subjected to in the U.S. during the Red Scare. This, among other things, provided a clerical inspiration for Jones, as he himself described it in biologic, biographical excuse me, recording, saying, quote, I decided how can I demonstrate my Marxism? The thought was, infiltrate the church. So I consciously made a decision to look into that prospect. Although Jones feared that he would end up being the victim of a backlash for being a communist, he was surprised when a Methodist superintendent helped him enter the church, despite his knowledge that Jones was a communist. In 1952, Jones became a student pastor in Somerset Southside Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, but left that church because it barred him from integrating African Americans into his congregation. In 1954, Jones found his own church in a rented space in Indianapolis. At first, he named it the Community Unity Church. Jones had previously observed a faith healing service at the Seventh-day Baptist Church, which led him to conclude that such healings could attract people and generate income, which he could use to accomplish his social goals. Jones and the temple members knowingly faked healings because they found that the healings increased people's faith and generated financial resources, which they could use to help the poor and finance the church. These healings involved the use of chicken livers and other animal tissue, with Jones and Confederate temple members claimed were cancerous tissues which had been removed from the bodies of the people who had been healed. In 1955, Jones bought his first church building, located in a racially mixed Indianapolis neighborhood. He first named his church Wings of Deliverance, and later that year he renamed it the People's Temple Full Gospel Church, the first time he used the phrase People's Temple. Jones' healings and purported clairvoyant revelations attracted spiritualists. Jones began closely associating with the Independent Assemblies of God, an international group of churches who embraced the latter rain movement. The IAOG had few requirements for ordained ministers and were accepting of divine healing practices. In June 1955, Jones held his first meetings with William Branham, a healing evangelist and Pentecostal leader in the global healing revival. In 1956, Jones was ordained as an IAOG minister by Joseph Matson Bowes, a leader in the Latter Rain Movement and the IAOG. Jones quickly rose to prominence in the group, working with the IAOG, organized and hosted a healing convention to take place June 11th to the 15th in Indianapolis's Cato Tabernacle. Needing a well-known figure to draw crowds, he arranged to share the pulpit again with Reverend Branham. Branham was known to tell supplicants their name, address, and why they came for prayer, before pronouncing them healed. Jones was intrigued by his methods and began performing the same feats. Jones and Branham's meetings were very successful and attracted an audience of 11,000 at their first joint campaign. At the convention, Branham issued a prophetic endorsement to Jones and his ministry, saying that God used the convention to send forth a new great ministry. Many attendees in the campaign believed Jones's performance indicated that he possessed a supernatural gift. And coupled with Branham's endorsement, it led to rapid growth of People's Temple. Jones was particularly effective at recruiting among the African-American attendees at the conventions. According to a newspaper report, regular attendance at the temple swelled to 1,000. Thanks to the publicity Branham provided to Jones and the People's Temple, following the convention, Jones renamed his church the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. 
to associate with full gospel Pentecostalism. The name was later shortened to the People's Temple. Jones' participation in a series of multi-state revival campaigns with Branham and Matson Bowes in the second half of the 1950s, making multiple joint appearances with them. Jones claimed to be a follower and promoter of, the, of Branham's message during that period, and the People's Temple hosted a second international Pentecostal convention in 1957, which was again headlined by Branham. Though the conventions and with the support of Branham and Matson Bowes, Jones secured connections throughout the latter rain movement. Jones used the convention meetings with other Pentecostal speakers to gain wide publicity. Jones continued to discuss the fact that he was using religion to further his political ideology. Those con conventions drew as many as 11,000 attendees, as Jones and the other preachers conducted healings and impressed attendees by revealing private information, usually addresses, phone numbers, or social security numbers which private detectives could easily discover beforehand. Jones and Temple members also drove through various cities in Indiana and Ohio on recruiting and fundraising efforts. The Temple stressed egalitarian ideals, asking members to attend in casual clothes so poor members would not feel out of place in providing shelter for the needy. While the, in, while the Temple had increased its African American membership from 15% to nearly 50, in order to attempt further gains, the Temple hired African American preacher Archie Ajams. He was one of the first to commit to Jones' socialist collective program. In 1959, the church joined the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, and was again renamed to the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. This affiliation was a successful attempt to both raise the dwindling membership and restore the reputation of the organization. In February 1960, the Temple opened a soup kitchen for the poor and expanded their social services to include rent assistance assistance, excuse me, job placement service, free cane goods, clothing, and coal for winter heating. Jones and his wife, Marceline, helped to increase the Temple's soup kitchen service to an average of about 2,800 meals per month. The Temple's public profile was further elevated when Jones was appointed to the Indianapolis Human Rights Commission. He engaged in public attempts to integrate business and was the subject of much local media coverage. Jones had read extensively about Father Divine, the founder of the International Peace Mission Movement. Jones and the members of the temple visited Divine several times, while Jones studied his writings and tape recordings of his sermons. The temple printed Divine's text for its members and began to preach that members should abstain from sex and only adopt children. In 1959, Jones tested the new fiery rhetorical style that Divine had used in his sermon. His speech captivated members with lulls and crescendos as Jones challenged the individual members in front of the group. The speech also marked the beginning of the temple's underlying us versus them message. Jones carefully wove in that the temple's home for senior citizens was established on the basis from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Quoting Karl Marx's critique of the Gotha program, he did so knowing that his Christian audience would recognize the similarities with texts from the Acts of the Apostles, which stated distribution was made to each as any had need. Jones would repeatedly cite the passage to paint Jesus as a communist, while at the same time attacking much of the text of the Bible. The temple tightening control of its organization, asking more of its members than did other churches. It required the members spend Thanksgiving and Christmas 
with its temple family rather than with blood relatives. The beginning of a process to wean members from outside contact and redirect their lives towards total commitment to the temple and its goals. Jones began to offer a deal towards a socialist collective which he called religious communalism in which members would donate their material possessions to the temple in exchange for the temple meeting all those members needs. Uh, Pastor Yijamas was one of the first to commit. The temple had a little luck converting most Midwesterners to communist ideals even when disguised as religion. Admiring the 1959 Cuban Revolution, Jones traveled to the island nation in 1960 in an attempt to persuade poor black Cubans to move to his congregation in Indiana. The temple's religious message transitioned during this period to one treading between atheism and the subtle notion that Jones was a Christ-like figure. While temple aides complained privately, Jones said that a new message was needed to foster members' dedication to the temple's larger goals. He maintained such implications until the mid to late 1970s. In 1961, Jones claimed he had a vision in which Indianapolis and Chicago were destroyed in a nuclear attack. Convincing aides that the temple needed to look for a new location, a 1962 Esquire magazine article listed the nine safest places to be in a nuclear war, with Belo Horizonte, Brazil, topping the list because of its location and atmospheric conditions. Jones traveled through Brazil from 1962 through early 1963. He requested money from the temple while in Rio, but the temple lacked adequate funds for such a request because of shrinking finances in Jones's absence. Jones sent a preacher that had become a follower in Brazil back to Indiana to help stabilize the temple. Jones returned to Indiana in 1963. Jones returned from Brazil in December 1963 to find People's Temple bitterly divided. Financial issues and, much, and a much smaller congregation forced Jones to sell the People's Temple building and relocate to a smaller building nearby. To raise money, Jones briefly returned to the revival circuit, traveling and holding healing campaigns. After dealing with the issues at People's Temple, and possibly in part to distract from them, he told his congregation that the world would be engulfed by nuclear war on July 15, 1967, leading to a new socialist Eden on Earth, and that the temple must move to Northern California for safety. With Jones's return, the majority of his congregation gradually returned to People's Temple, improving their financial situation. With Jones's return, the majority of his congregation gradually returned to People's Temple, improving their financial situation. During 1964, Jones made multiple trips to California to locate a suitable location to relocate. In July 1965, Jones and his followers began moving to their new location in Redwood Valley, California. Jones's assistant pastor, Russell Winberg, strongly resisted Jones' efforts to move the congregation and warned members that Jones was abandoning Christianity. Winberg took over leadership of the Indianapolis church when Jones departed, and about 140 of Jones's most loyal followers made the move to California while the rest remained behind with Winberg. In California, Jones was able to use his education degree from Butler University to secure a job as a history and government teacher in an adult education school. Jones used his position to recruit for People's Temple, teaching his students the benefits of Marxism and lecturing on religion. 
Jones planted loyal members of People's Temple in the classes to help him with recruitment. His efforts were successful, and Jones recruited 50 new members to People's Temple in the first few months. In 1967, Jones's followers coaxed another 75 members of the Indianapolis congregation to move to California. In 1968, the People's Temple in California location was admitted to the Disciples of Christ. Jones began to use the denominational connection to promote People's Temple as part of the 1.5 million member denomination. He played out famous members of the Disciples, including Lyndon Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover, and misrepresented the nature of his position in the denomination. By 1969, Jones increased the membership in People's Temple in California to 300. Jones developed a theology that was significantly influenced by the teachings of the Latin Rain movement, William Branham, Father Divine, and infused with Jones' personal communist worldview. Jones referred to his belief as apostolic socialism. Following the relocation of People's Temple in California, Jones began to gradually introduce the concepts to his followers. According to religious studies professor, Catherine Wessinger, Jones always spoke out, spoke of the social gospel of virtues, but chose to conceal that his gospel was actually communism until he began to do so in sermons at the temple in the late 1960s. Jones taught that those who remained drugged with the opiate of religion had to be brought to enlightenment, which he defined as socialism. Jones asserted that traditional Christianity had an incorrect view of God. By the early 1970s, Jones began deciding to writing traditional Christianity as flyaway religion, rejecting the Bible as being a tool to oppress women and non-whites. Jones referred to traditional Christianity view of God as a sky god who is no god at all. Instead, Jones claimed to be following the true God who created all things. Jones taught that ultimately that ultimate reality was called the divine principle, and this principle was the true God. Jones equated the principle with love and equated love with socialism, and Jones asserted he was a savior sent by the true God to rescue humanity from their sufferings. Jones insisted that accepting the divine principle was equivalent to being crucified with Christ. Jones increasingly promoted the idea of his own divinity, going so far as to tell his congregation that I am come as God's socialist. Jones carefully avoided claiming divinity outside of people's temple, but he expected to be acknowledged as godlike among his followers. Further attacking traditional Christianity, Jones authored and circulated a tract, tract criticizing the King James Bible and dis dismissing King James as a slave owner and capitalist who was responsible for the corrupt translation of scripture. Jones claims he was sent to share the true meaning of the gospel which had been hidden by corrupt leaders. Jones rejected even the few required tenets of the Disciples of Christ denomination, instead of implementing the sacraments as prescribed by the disciples. Jones followed Father Divine's Holy Communion practices and created his own baptismal formula, baptizing his converts in the holy name of socialism. While in the U.S., Jones remained fearful of the public discovering the full extent of his communist views. He believed that if true nature of his views became widely known, he would quickly lose the support of political leaders and even face the possibility of People's Temple being ejected from the Disciples of Christ. Jones also feared losing the church's tax-exempt status and having to report his financial dealings to the IRS. Jones took care to always couch his socialist views in religious terms, such as apostolic social justice, 
living in the Acts of the Apostles was his euphemism for living a communal lifestyle. Jones frequently warned his followers of an imminent apocalyptic genocidal race war and nuclear war. He claimed that Nazi fascists and white supremacists would put people of color into concentration camps. Jones said he was a messiah sent to save people by giving them a place of refuge in his church. Drawing on a prophecy in the book of Revelation, he taught that American capitalist culture was irredeemable in Babylon. Explaining the nature of sin, Jones stated, if you're born in capitalist America, racist America, fascist America, then you're born in sin. But if you're born in socialism, you're not born in sin. He taught his followers the only way to escape the supposed imminent catastrophe was to accept his teachings, and that after the ap apocalypse was over, they would emerge to establish a perfect communist society. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Historians are divided over whether Jones actually believed his own teachings or was just using them to manipulate people. Jeff Ginn said it's impossible to know whether Jones gradually came to think he was God's earthly vessel or whether he came to that convenient conclusion to enhance his authority over his followers. In a 1976 phone conversation with John Marr, Jones admitted to being an agnostic and an atheist. Marcelin admitted in a 1977 um, New York Times interview that Jones was trying to promote Marxism in the U.S. by mobilizing people through religion, citing Mao as his inspiration, saying, quote, Jim using, used religion to try to get some people out of the opiate of religion. She told the reporter that Jones had once slammed the Bible on the table, yelling, I've got to destroy this paper idol. Jones taught his followers that the ends justify the means and authorized them to achieve his vision by any means necessary. Outsiders would later point to this aspect of Jones' teaching to allege that he did not genuinely believe in his own teachings and that he was morally bankrupt and only manipulating religion and other elements of society to achieve his own selfish ends. Jones began using illicit drugs after moving to California, which further heightened his paranoia. Jones increasingly used fear to control and manipulate his followers in California. Jones frequently warned his followers that there was an enemy seeking to destroy them. The identity of that enemy changed over time, from the KKK to Nazis to redneck vigilantes, and finally the American government. He frequently prophesied that fires, car accidents, and deaths or injuries would come upon anyone unfaithful to him and his teachings. He constantly told his followers that they needed to be crusaders, promoting and fulfilling his beliefs. Through his tactics, he successfully implemented a communal lifestyle among his followers that was directed by him and his lieutenants, who were part of a committee called the Planning Commission. Jones, through the Planning Commission, began controlling all aspects of the lives of his followers. Members who joined People's Temple were required to turn over all their assets to the church in exchange for free room and board. Many members working outside of the temple were also required to turn over all their income to be used for the benefit of the community. 
Jones directed groups of his followers to work on various projects to earn income for the People's Temple and set up an agricultural operation in Redwood Valley to grow food. Jones organized large community outreach projects, taking his followers by bus to perform work community service across the region. The first known cases of serious abuse in People's Temple arose in California as the Planning Commission carried out discipline against members who were not fulfilling Jones's vision or following the rules. Jones' control over the members of People's Temple extended to their sex lives and who could be married. Some members were coerced to get abortions. Jones began to require sexual favors from the wives of some members of the church. Jones also raped several male members of his congregation. Members who rebelled against Jones's control were punished with reduced food rations, harsher work schedules, public ridicule, and humiliations, and sometimes with physical violence. As the temple's membership grew, Jones created a security group to ensure order among his followers and to ensure his own personal safety. The group purchased security squad cars and armed their guards with rifle and pistols. Although some description of the People's Temple emphasizes Jones' autocratic control over its operations, in reality, the temple possessed a complex leadership structure excuse me, with decision-making power unevenly dispersed among its members. Within that structure, temple members were unwittingly and gradually subjected to sophisticated mind control and behavior modification techniques borrowed from post-revolutionary China and North Korea. The temple tightly defined psychological boundaries that enemies such as traitors to the temple crossed at their own peril. While the secrecy and caution Jones demanded in recruiting led to decreased overall membership, they also helped him foster a hero worship of himself as the ultimate socialist. In the 1970s, the temple established a more formal hierarchy for its socialistic model. At the top were the temple staff, a select group of predominantly college-educated white women that undertook the temple's most sensitive missions. They necessarily acclimated themselves to an ends-justify-the-means philosophy. The early, earliest member was Sandy Bradshaw, a socialist from Syracuse, New York. Others included Carolyn Layton, a communist since the age of 15 who had a child with Jones, Sharon Amos, who worked for the Social Services Department, Patty Cartmel, Jones' secretary, and Terry Buford, a Navy brat turned pacifist. The group was often scorned as an elitist within the egalitarian temple organization and viewed as secret police. The temple's planning commission was its governing board. Membership quickly ballooned from 50 to over 100. During the week, members convened for meetings in various Redwood Valley locations, sometimes until dawn. The planning commission was responsible for the temple's day-to-day -day operations, including key decision makings, financial and legal planning, and oversight. The commission sat over various other committees, such as the Diversions Committee, which carried out tasks such as writing huge numbers of letters to politicians from fictional people mailed from various locations across the U.S., and the Myrtles Committee, which undertook activities against defectors Al and Jeannie Mills. A group of rank-and-file members whom outsiders called the troops consisted of working-class members who were 70 to 80 percent black. They set up chairs for meetings, filled offering boxes, and did other tasks. Many of them were attracted to the temple's quasi-socialist approach, both because of the temple's political education offers and because the temple's highly passionate congregations still maintained the familiar forms of evangelical prayers and black gospels. 
Jones also surrounded himself with several dozen mostly white privileged members in their 20s and 30s who had skills in law, accounting, nursing, teaching, music, and administration. The latter group carried out public relations, financial duties, and more mundane chores, while bringing in good salaries from well-paying outside jobs. The Temple used 10 to 15 Greyhound-type bus cruisers to transport members up and down California freeways each week for recruitment and fundraising. Jones always rode in bus number 7, which contained armed guards and a special section lined with protective metal plates. He told members that the Temple would not bother scheduling a trip unless it could net $100,000. The Temple's goal for an annual net income from bus trips was $1 million. Beginning in the 1970s, the bus caravan also traveled across the U.S. quarterly, including to Washington, D.C. In June 1973, Representative George Brown Jr. entered a lengthy and laudatory description of the temple into the congressional record. The Washington Post ran an August 18, 1973 editorial page item stating that the 660 temple visitors were the hands-down winners of anybody's Tourist of the Year award after spending an hour cleaning up the Capitol grounds. The temple distributed pamphlets in cities along the route of these fundraising trips, bragging of Jones' prowess at spiritual healing, without mentioning the temple's Marxist goals. Stops included large cities such as Houston, Detroit, and Cleveland. Temple members pretending, pretended to be locals and added as shields in the various faked healings and revelations. Local viewers did not realize they were in the minority in the audience. The weekly take from offerings and healing services was 15000 to 25000 in Los Angeles and eight to 12000 in San Francisco. There were smaller collections from trips around the Mother Church in Redwood Valley. The temple also set up Truth Enterprises, a direct mailing branch that sent out 30000 to 50000 mailers monthly to people who had attended temple services or written to the temple after listening to temple radio programs. Donations were mailed in from all over the continental U.S., Hawaii, South America, and Europe. In addition to receiving donations, the temple sold trinkets such as pieces of Jones' robe, healing oil, temple rings, keychains, and lockets. In peak periods, the mailer revenue grossed $300 to $400 daily. This figure even surprised Jones. Although Jones had earlier asked temple members to destroy photos of him because he did not want members worshipping him as Catholics worshipped plaster statues, Jeannie and Al Mills, who would later defect, convinced Jones to sell anointed and blessed photos to raise money. Jones worried that they're going to get me for mail fraud someday. In 1973, the temple also formed Brotherhood Records, a subsidiary record label that produced music from the temple's large interracial youth choir and orchestra. Some defections occurred, most especially in 1973, when eight young members, known as the Gang of Eight, defected together. Because the Gang of Eight were aware of threats to potential defectors, they suspected Jones would send a search party to look for them. Their fears proved correct. Jones employed multiple search parties, including one which scanned highways from a rented airplane. The Gang of Eight drove three trucks loaded with firearms towards Canada, avoiding U.S. Highway 101. Because they feared taking firearms over the U.S.-Canada border, the group traveled instead to the hills of Montana, where they wrote a long letter documenting their complaints. Former Temple member Jeannie Mills later wrote that Jones called 30 members to his home at 
forebodingly declared that in light of the mass defection, in order to keep our apostolic socialism, we shall we should all kill ourselves and leave a note saying that because of harassment, a socialist group cannot exist at this time. Jones became furious, waving a pistol at the planning commission and referring to the gang of eight as Trotskyite defectors and Coca-Cola revolutionaries. While the temple did not execute that suicide plan Jones subscribed, it did conduct fake suicide rituals in the years that followed. In 1974, the People's Temple signed a lease to rent land in Guyana. The community which was established on this piece of property was named the People's Temple Agricultural Project. Its informal name was Jonestown. The settlement had as few as 50 residents in early 1977. Jones saw Jonestown as both a socialist paradise and a sanctuary from media scrutiny that had started with the Kinsolving Articles. Former Temple member Tim Carter said that Temple moved to Jonestown because in 74, what we saw in the U.S. was creeping fascism. Carter explained, quote, It was apparent that corporations or the multinationals were getting much larger. Their influence was growing within government, and the U.S. is a racist place. He said the Temple concluded that Guyana was a place in a black country where our black members could live in peace. It was a socialist government, and it was the only English-speaking country in South America. Increasing media scrutiny based on allegations by foreign members placed further pressure on Jones, especially after a 1977 article in New West Magazine. Just before publication, editor Rosalie Wright telephoned Jones to read him the article. Wright explained that she was only doing so before publication because of all the support letters they received on his behalf from the governor of California and others. While still, while still on the phone listening to the allegations contained in the article, Jones wrote a note to Temple members in the room with him that said, We leave tonight. Notify Georgetown. After Jones left for Guyana, he encouraged Temple members to follow him there. The population grew to over 900 people by, the late, by late 1978. Those who moved there were promised a tropical paradise free from the supposed wickedness of the outside world. On November 17, 1978, Representative Leo Ryan, who was investigating claims of abuse within the temple, visited Jonestown. During his visit, a number of temple members expressed a desire to leave with him. On November 18th, some accompanied Ryan to the local airstrip. There, they were intercepted by self-styled temple security guards who opened fire on the group, killing Ryan, three journalists, and one of the defectors, as well as injuring nine others, including Ryan's aide, Jackie Spear. A few seconds of gunfire from the incident were captured on video by NBC cameraman Bob Brown, one of the journalists killed in the attack. Though she was shot five times, including a suffering a massive leg, leg wound, excuse me, Spears survived and won a seat in Congress in 2008, serving until she declined to run for re-election in 2022. That evening in Jonestown, Jones ordered his congregation to drink a concoction of cyanide-laced grape-flavored flavorade. In all, 918 people died, including 276 children. This includes four that died at the temple headquarters that night in Guyanese capital of Georgetown. Some members resisted committing revolutionary suicide and were injected with fatal doses of cyanide, as were infants and others survived by fleeing through the jungle. It was the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until the events of September 11, 2001. 
The temple's San Francisco headquarters was besieged by the national media and the relatives of the Jonestown victims. The mass killing became one of the best-known events in U.S. history, as measured by the Gallup poll, and appeared on the cover of several newspapers and magazines, including Time, for months after. In addition, according to various press reports after the suicide, surviving temple members announced their fears of being targeted by a hit squad, which would be composed of Jonestown survivors. Similarly, in 1979, the Associated Press reported the U.S. congressional aides claimed that there were 120 white brainwashed assassins out from Jonestown awaiting the trigger word to pick up their hit. Temple insider Michael Probst, who had been ordered to deliver a suitcase which contained Temple funds, which were supposed to be transferred to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, killed himself in 1979, four months after the Jonestown incident. In the days leading up to his death, Brooks sent notes to several people together with a 30-page statement he had written about the temple. They reprinted one copy in his Chronicle column. Brooks then arranged for a press conference in a Modesto, California motel room, during which he read a statement to the eight reporters who attended. He then excused himself, entered a restroom, and fatally shot himself in the head. Before the tragedy, Temple member Paula Adams engaged in a romantic relationship with Guyana's ambassador to the U.S., Lawrence Bobby Mann. Adams later married Mann on October 24, 1983. Mann fatally shot both Adams and the couple's child, and then fatally shot himself. Defecting member Harold Cordley lost 20 family members on the evening of the poisonings. The Bogues family, who had also defected, lost its daughter, Marley, while defector Vernon Gossany lost his son, Mark. The mass suicide of the People's Temple has helped embed the idea that all new religious movements are destructive of the public's mind. At the end of 1978, the Temple declared bankruptcy and its assets went into receivership. In light of the lawsuits, on December 4th, 1978, Charles Gary, the corporation's attorney, petitioned to dissolve the temple. The petition was granted in San Francisco Superior Court in January 1979. A few temple members remained in Guyana through May 1979 in order to wrap up the movement's affairs. Then they returned to the U.S. The temple buildings in Los Angeles, Indianapolis, and Redwood Valley are all intact, as is the temple former Georgetown headquarters. Some former temple buildings, such as the LA facility, are presently used by other church congregations. The temple's former San Francisco headquarters were destroyed in the 1989 earthquake, and the site is now occupied by a post office branch. So before we go, give us a thumbs up on our video if you like our video, subscribe to the channel, and hit that bell notification button to be notified of future videos. If you want to support the podcast, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring in new hosts, pay them. And as always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.